This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I want to talk about a vehicle or issue uh, I had at the shop, and it's kind of one of my very favorite scenarios to run into, meaning it's almost like the ultimate in lazy diagnostics. It doesn't happen nearly enough, uh, but when it does happen, it's fun. Let me thank our sponsor, Nap Auto Tech Training, and then I'll uh, dive into this diagnostic dilemma I had that ended up not being such a dilemma, but just kind of cool when things align that way to let techs like ourselves do stuff like this and make a very accurate call without really needing to touch the vehicle, just being aware of a few symptoms, making use of a wiring schematic. Napa Autotech offers three-hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, Go to NapaAutotech.com and click on the Napa Autotech class calendar link. So yeah, like I was uh, alluding to a little bit, it doesn't happen nearly often enough or I'm just not smart enough to catch it when it's uh, a possibility. But in this case, I had a 2017 Ford F350, four-wheel drive if it matters, not that big a deal, Super Duty crew cab. And the complaint was that the power door locks do not work, the keyless entry does not work, except the driver's door will unlock. The power locks will work and unlock on the driver's door only. So to maybe really make this useful, I highly recommend hitting up your all data or your Moto Logic or if you have factory Ford. I'm not sure about Mitchell. They'll have the redrawn diagrams. I use the OE diagram and I can't imagine that it would be that much different But just to be on the level, that's what I used. And the wiring schematic is 117-003. And I'll explain why that diagram was really the only one I was focused on. To flesh this out just a little bit more, we kind of noticed on the driver's power door lock, if you held the switch down, the horn would beep, even though none of the door locks worked. None of the door locks cycled or made any kind of noise or buzzing or anything like that. But the horn honked. You also notice that the same with like the keyless entry, you hit the button and the lights would flash, the horn would honk. So kind of knew that it knew what we were commanding. If you wanted to, you could have plugged in a scan tool, looked at the body control module and seen that the request was going through. It just couldn't execute it. And in our day to day, that's probably what we would have done. But usually before I start diving into stuff, I grab a wiring schematic and so Looking at this 117-001, if you're not pulling a diagram or you're looking at redrawn Valley Forge Mitchell style, the reason I chose this diagram was that it showed the actuators, the actual power door lock, solenoids, motors, whatever you want to call them. I I just kind of started tracing out what was going on. And it turned out the answers were all in the wiring schematic. Right off the bat, just to look at the, the top, if you will, our fuses and the heavy hitters is primarily for what we care about was the F24 fuse. And that feeds both the central lock relay and the central unlock relay. And neither of these relays is serviceable. They're part of the body control module. They are uh, soldered directly to the circuit board inside of the body control module. 
And of course, for power door locks, this fuse is hot at all times. And do I really need to check the fuse? Because the front or driver's door lock works in the unlock position. So to me, the fuse is good. It also tells me that the wiring in the door, so like, you know, popular place to start looking for power window, power lock type of issues are, you know, in the door jam area that the flexing of opening and closing the doors eventually wires break. But I felt like it was rather unlikely to have three other broken wires for the other doors because one break and one wouldn't take out the rest. So that just didn't seem very reasonable to me. And the other thing is just with the switch itself, I knew the signals were working because of the behavior of the horn and the lights. Like I knew the inputs are working. You know, I could have got burned, but I just kind of ruled out broken wires. It just didn't seem reasonable to me. You know, I guess everything's risk management. If I was wrong, I was buying a body control module. But I, I just felt like logically it was the probabilities are really low. Just so low. And not that checking them is so darn hard. It's just, it didn't seem reasonable. So I didn't feel like I had a broken wire issue. But it's kind of interesting to me. Why would the passenger front and both rear door locks not work at all? But the driver's front would only work in the unlock position. So you manually lock it, hit the unlocks, it would unlock, but it would not lock with power door locks. You know, you kind of follow the fuse for the central unlock relay as that, you can't hardly call it a wire, the trace, if you will, from F24, 20 amp fuse through the relay and the unlock position. So it's going to come off its grounding spot, if you will, swing over, close those contacts, work its way through a brown with green wire that goes through a splice and then feeds three door lock actuators for the passenger front and the both the rears goes through the actuators and then comes out on gray with brown wire that hits a splice and then that splice shoots over to the uh, driver's power door lock actuator and also shoots back to the bcm through the central lock relay which is in its rest position which has the contacts connecting it directly to ground through ground G202, but nothing works in unlock except the driver's door. So we follow that gray with brown through the door lock or driver's door lock actuator, if you will. That comes out on a blue with green wire going back to the body control module to another non-serviceable relay called the driver slash fuel flap unlock relay. It goes through there and that and its rest position is connected to ground through the G202. So you see it's got a different ground path. It became pretty obvious nothing works when you're trying to lock them. Only the driver's door lock works in the unlock. So it seems very reasonable to me that the central lock relay was somehow compromised. Contacts burned, broken. The relay had failed. I suppose possibly some weird trace failure in the body control module. The module's laying on my desk. I haven't ripped it open yet. Just A, to see if I can see any damage. And then B, for fun, can I solder a relay to it and make it work again? Because I don't know. That's what we do. Based on that, the call was made. 
that uh, it had to be a body control module. Really got the new body control module a couple days later, which I got a level with you, surprised the hell out of me. I fully expected to get the, you know, intergalactic back order or not available or yeah, nowadays, even though it's a 2017, no longer supported. You know, they don't make parts for them anymore. So I was expecting to maybe have a hurdle with used ones, although Fords, especially since I could talk to this one, uh, I wasn't overly concerned about going used. There's usually a good way with it, no problem with factory scan tool. And then if there is issues, then there's all other means uh, to get it done. But really, honestly, plug this one in, didn't even program it, and it already the door locks worked. So if you wanted to do substitution analysis, then we could have just plugged the new one in and verified that it worked. But to me, I, I just love those scenarios where you're kind of just sitting at your computer, sitting at a chair, you know the symptoms, and you got maybe a little bit of information. We could have went and got a little bit more with very little effort with a scan tool. Even if we wanted to a little more accessing the body control module isn't terrible. It's worse on many other cars. This one wasn't too bad. Could have got to there, did some more intrusive testing if we so desired. But really, it just seemed overwhelmingly logical that the only really high probability issue could have been a failed body control module or a non-serviceable relay within the body control module. So programmed it. Had to use my LSID for the keys to do a parameter reset. This is important. This is a proxy key system. When you plug the body control module in, the new one, nothing powers up. You can't key this thing on. Try as you like, factory scan tool or not, it doesn't force ignition on like other car lines. You're sitting there wondering what to do. You know, you can do a little bit of digging, of course, in service information, or you know, one way to think about it too is the keys. There's a slot that takes out the proxy portion, or not so much takes it out, but allows it bypasses it, if you will, right? If the battery go, goes dead in the remote, you got to be able to start the car. So they got slots, if you will. So on this vehicle in the center console, to the nearest the driver's seat next to the cup holders, you'll see kind of a little rubber mat, if you will, lifted up. And there's an indentation, if you will, of where the keys rest. And you're going to need two keys. But you lay a key in there and you'll hear a beep. Get the other key laid in there and it'll beep. And now you can key the thing on. It will not start, but you can at least key up the, the vehicle. Go through the programming process and you think you're home. I thought I was done. I thought, oh, okay, the BCM shows up kind of ready for the keys. I don't have to do the parameter reset. Bull roar. You need to do the parameter reset. And with the IDS, as an independent repair shop, you have to submit a D1. And, and you could do that afterwards, right? It, it's going to ask for your LSID and login credentials. It'll let you do the parameter reset. And then you got to submit a D1 or else your account will get locked. It's cake. It goes really fast. And um, then you add the keys again, <laughs> which just seems redundant, but that's what you do. And then everything works like magic. Go around program TPMS like you would any other vehicle, any other Ford Hornhawks as you go. And I get the nice message on the driver's information display that the key learning is complete. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. 
It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa AutoTech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa AutoTech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa AutoTech is here to provide you with the training you need in the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa AutoTech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. Yeah, that's a, uh, just a quick story about diagnosis with really just a wiring schematic and a few symptoms. Just to keep rolling a little more with content, this will seem like bragging. I hope you believe me when I say it's so not. Disgusting is probably too strong of a word. Definitely disappointing. It's really mind-boggling to me. So got a phone call from somebody. They are a, a company north of us, a little over an hour. And they have a 2009 Chevy Silverado that's been at a GM dealer for over six months. The complaint was the no crank, no start. They had some keys programmed. Everything worked by a, a local, not local to Red Wing, but local to them, highly capable, highly respected mobile diagnostic and programming company. They uh, cut and program keys. Vehicle worked for a while, then it stopped working, starting, I should say. And I, I don't think the keys were added. I don't think the keys were added because it was a no start or anything like that, a mobilizer issue. I think it was either all keys lost or they were just adding keys. But there was no issue after that for a while, a few days or weeks or whatever, and then it stopped starting. And I don't know if the mobile company looked at it or not. I don't know if they were even allowed the opportunity. I think it went to this dealer, GM dealer, where it spent the next six, seven months and thousands. And I'm not exaggerating here. We're talking thousands of dollars in parts added to this vehicle. It still doesn't crank over. And the dealer is saying they're having troubles programming the keys. They can't get the keys to program. Get this call from this company with the vehicle. And they got referred to me by the Flasher Scope and Scan Diagnostics up in kind of in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area and owned by a friend of mine, Matt Batulis. So then immediately I'm scared, like, you know, somebody like that's referring something to me. It's going to be a nightmare. I'm going to mess it up. It'll end up being something easy, but I'll miss it and make a big deal out of it. And even he'll come down and figure it out in 15 minutes and make me feel like an idiot. 
actually I already feel like an idiot most of the time. So even more of an idiot, but I, you know, he was telling me about this and I was really intrigued. Like, can't get the keys programmed. I want to see this. Like, I don't know what could cause that. That's kind of, kind of cool. And the dealers had it for so long. They tow it down, drop it off. No time pressure. You know, they've already been without it. It's their snowplow truck. It's pretty good shape. I'm reading through this invoice and they had tech support involved. GM tech support is also involved on the vehicle and they didn't get it figured out. It's mind blowing to me. And parts that were replaced, including theft, body control, new keys. You know, they had quite the stack of keys going and power distribution center connectors under the power distribution center. And what else? I might be forgetting some stuff, but those are the heavy hitters. This invoice was over three grand and the truck didn't run. And the guy had to write a check to them before they'd let him take the truck off their lot. Yeah, even I am a proponent for charging people for the process, the diagnostic process, not the result. But man, I don't think I could actually do that. I don't think I could charge somebody for something like that. And it leaves with lots of new parts and not working. I, I don't know, right or wrong. That's Maybe that's wrong from a business standpoint. Check my ego at the door. That's what you do. I don't know if I'm capable. So I guess plug a scan tool in right away. Just a quick reminder, 2009 Chevy Silverado. I think it was a 2500 HD with a 6.2 liter. Sounds about right. And plug a scan tool in and I have a DTC in the PCM for theft, of course, and then a uh, ignition one voltage. Go into scan data, ignition one voltage is zero all the time, no matter what I do. I look at a wiring schematic and the, it comes right off the ignition switch. So then I'm kind of thinking, oh, GM ignition switch, but it's pretty new for that. Check it. And one nice thing about this is since they were working on it, this thing was all ripped apart. Like everything was pretty much exposed. I didn't have to take covers off or nothing. It was kind of awesome. So I have this ignition one voltage coming out of the ignition switch. It goes to the body control module and then it comes out of the body control module, goes up to the power distribution center to the run crank relay is not being cycled. Throw my U activate on there and truck won't start, but things power up. So pop the U. You activate from AES wave. So I put the relay back in. I know the relay is not being actuated. I figure the body control module is right there. Everything's kind of exposed. I drop that down. As far as I can tell, you know, not that I have these great wiring schematics, just using the factory diagrams that I know the guts, but it really just looks like pass through. It doesn't look like the BCM is conditioning this signal at all. Just goes in one terminal and out the other. And the body control module, it is going into the BCM and it's coming out of the BCM. So right now it looks like whatever's wrong is under the hood. And I go to the power distribution center and, you know, these things are kind of awesome. It's got those two big kind of handles that you flip up and like almost together, it power distribution center pops up like, you know, half inch or whatever. And then you move the levers apart again, and then it pops off the rest of the way, and the connectors are right there. The pins of the power distribution center are exposed. I could look and make sure pins weren't bent over, and I start my testing, and it's not a long story. I can't even say long story short. 
this was one of the connectors that was replaced at the dealer. And the terminal for that ignition one voltage was one terminal off. So instead of, you know, pin seven, it was in pin six, pop it out, put it in pin seven, put it all together, keys programmed and the truck roars to life. That's six months. So it sounds like I'm really bashing on the dealer. It's really not. That is what we have too much of everywhere. And, you know, if it's a one-man shop in a way, almost sympathetic, you know, or where there's really just kind of one person that does this, you can almost sympathize in that sometimes you're so wrapped up in a car, it's hard to see anymore, if that makes sense, right? You might say you can't see the forest from the trees or anything like that. I would be a little more sympathetic. But this is the dealer. There's multiple techs involved, tech supports involved, and they miss that it's pinned wrong. That whoever installed that connector pinned it wrong. I guess it's also just something I was talking to in the episode I did with Jeff Compton on his Jaded Mechanic podcast, which is you know one of those that I listen to regularly. I highly recommend it. In the episode I did with him, we're kind of talking about the dealers kind of always had that reputation, if you will, or stigma as being the place that would finally get it done just because of the familiarity and access to better tools and equipment and information and their support. That's the stigma they had. That is the idea. I think even us in the independent world or aftermarket world felt as well. And there are certainly dealer techs like that. Just like there's indie techs, just like that, that they will figure it out. That is not the end-all be-all anymore. They're not the showstopper anymore. The idea that you can't figure something out or it's maybe, you know, if I say over your head, I really don't mean that condescendingly. It's not trying to run anyone down. You know, I would say anything heavy line mechanical is way over my head. It's just not my thing. Or transmission rebuilding way over my head, not my wheelhouse. So the idea of when you get in the weeds on something and you're going to bail, I don't know that the default answer is the dealer anymore. I think we have to get to know one another better, get to know our competition better in that sometimes it's not bad to refer someone to a shop that might have a tech that's capable to do whatever. I mean, it's not just electrical diagnostics, anything like that, anything. Because I'll tell you, Riverside Automotive, we get a lot of referrals for a lot of jacked up diagnostic challenges, programming, not that everything's always jacked up, but just a lot of diagnostic stuff gets sent our way or stuff that another shop's maybe not quite equipped for, timing chains even. Maybe they're smarter than we are with tool investments. Those clients really rarely stay with us. Those shops are not losing clients because they're referring them all away. The clients bring their cars to us. They're coached up pretty good so that they don't have heart attacks when they get our invoices. And then we may see them again when they have another you know, technical issue or electrical issue or diagnostic issue. They may come back or something you know, big, but they usually end up going back to their shop. It's their shop. They have a relationship built up with them and a trust. And that shop referring that client to us really just further grew that trust. 
because they were right. They sent them to a shop that got it done, took care of them. They could trust us. And because of that, they trust that referring shop even more. So I don't think it's a bad strategy to refer things away. It's almost like borrowing a tool, right? If you have to borrow something X amount of times, you should buy it. If you're referring away certain jobs X amount of times, it's worth considering what it would take to be able to gain that capability through whatever it is, equipment purchases or you know competency training, et cetera. So yeah, I hope that didn't come off bragging. I really don't mean it that way. I think most of you would have found that, but it's kind of sobering. Maybe that was the word I needed right off the bat. It was sobering. And that's not the only one. I think if I could get rolling here, I could bring up a bunch of those. If you guys have stories like that, I'd love to hear them. You know, if you want to instant message them over to me or email me at mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com. Love to hear about some of those stories, some of those dilemmas. Really appreciate you guys listening. I hope you got a kick out of this one. If you have any uh, episode ideas, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. And if you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, please give it a like and maybe even uh, a follow. Really appreciate that. I think that will wrap it up. Thank you once again. Thank you to Napa Auto Tech Training for sponsoring. And thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for putting up with me. Literally. Until next time, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.